joining us. We are so glad that you are part of our online campus this morning. Thank you for uh, being here today. Thank you for your prayers. As you know, a couple weeks ago, Harry and Karen Nell's son, early 40s, school teacher over at Eastmont, uh, woke up, quit breathing, his heart quit, they rushed into the hospital, um, he went five, six minutes without oxygen, many, many people prayed, uh, Kai is home doing so much better, thanks be to God, and uh, Harry and Karen have a thank you to you today who helped in praying, it says, when at you first assembly, we want to express our sincere gratitude for all the prayers for our son Kai. The hospital staff had already filled out a donor form ready to be signed. That's not real encouraging when you have a loved one in the hospital and they come and ask you to sign a donor form. To their surprise, the doctors and nurses were cheering and actually proclaiming Kai's recovery a miracle. We are praising and thanking uh, the love and the mercy of our Father, God, and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Kai is improving daily, and the entire Nell family appreciated your prayers and good wishes, uh, Coach Harry and uh, Karen. So thank you so much for your prayers. If you're not on our prayer team, I'd encourage you to just uh, send a request to info, info at wfa.church. And you'll get a prayer guide every Monday afternoon. And then if there's emergency prayers throughout the week, it's like the old-fashioned prayer chain. But we do it via email. You'll also be on that. So thank you for your prayers. Today's a special day for a couple reasons. Uh, November 1 is All Saints Day. All Saints Day. It's a day for us to remember and thank God. For those who have gone on before. You know, the Bible says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Pastor Steve, yes, or last week, mentioned about Virgil Brown being a modern-day saint, a spiritual mentor. But there are there those who have gone on before. Uh, I often think of, of Dick Rice, who was such a solid anchor of uh, not only his family, but our church and my life. I think of my grandparents. I think of uh, really St. Barnabas. There's a saint called St. Pedro Peel that uh, I just love his writings. And I just encourage you today in your own way to express appreciation for people who have made a difference in your spiritual life. Uh, I took flowers to my parents' grave uh, this weekend because they're not only my parents, they were my spiritual mentors. And in a way, they're saints that are part of that great cloud of witnesses. So I just encourage you today to think about the, the saints, particularly those saints that have made this great church what it is, the Reuben Roses of life. Um, and I could go on and on. There's a lot of people. But as we remember saints, we also need to remember those who... Uh, are part of the persecuted church. There has been um, about 200,000 people in our world this past year that have faced severe persecution for the faith. And I'm not talking about that you're being asked to wear a mask to protect your neighbor. Okay? I mean, we're, we're asked to wear a mask to protect our neighbor. That's not church persecution. 
I'm talking about pastors in Africa being actually pulled out of their pulpit and shot in front of their family. It happened to an Assembly of God pastor this year. Talking about those in North Korea, those in Iran and Afghanistan. There's been about 43, um, 43 million, or, or I'm sorry, 4.3 million uh, known martyrs since Jesus ascended. And today is All Saints Day, but it's also a day that is called the International Day for the Persecuted Church. Many of you are familiar with the Voice of Martyrs, and uh, I always try to honor this day because I don't want us to get tunnel vision. <laughs> for two weeks recently, we talked about how to pray for our enemies because we're being bombarded, and we wanted to see what the Word said. Do we retaliate? Do we just get bigger guns? What do we do? The Bible says you pray for your enemies. So for two weeks, remember, we, it was tough, but we prayed for our enemies. Last week, we took time in our service. We prayed for our nation. We prayed for life. We prayed for equality among races. And those were all good things. We prayed for our enemies, we prayed for ourselves. Today, I want us to focus outward and pray for our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we've never met, but are suffering right now under the hands of oppressive governments, oppressive religious organizations. There's many, many. And today, I want us to look into how Paul taught the early church, to pray for those under persecution. Remember, in the day of the early church, they were being persecuted. We know that. Many of the apostles were martyred for their faith. And so the context of Paul's writings really is in the context of the persecuted church. And in a moment, we're going to look at a, an instructional letter that he wrote to the church in Thessalonica about how we can pray for the persecuted church. And we're going to do that today. We're going to pray for the persecuted church because I don't want to just have a, you know, a, a message that focuses on ourselves. <laughs> we need to focus on the body of Christ today. I know many of us have given kind of like these generic prayers. Um, you know, Father, bless them. And that's okay. God sees our heart. Um, but sometimes in my life, those prayers are really kind of dissatisfying. They feel empty and insufficient, but it's all the best I can do. Now, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if you have a prayer language, that is a real advantage in praying for people that you don't know how to pray for. Because the Bible says the Holy Spirit prays through you. I understand that. But I want to talk today about how specifically we can pray more than just that generic prayer that when we're little kids, you know, at the end of our time of prayer at the dinner table, we'd say, oh, and God bless all the missionaries around the world. Amen. <laughs> We've all had prayers like that, haven't we? That's why we need teaching, teaching on this matter. How do we specifically pray for other Christians? And that's what we're going to learn today. Okay, so I want you to take your Bible, if you have it, and first turn to Acts 17. This is a little historical background first before we get into the text. But I want us to look at first 
uh, I'm at, at Acts chapter 17, first of all. We know that praying for other people is fundamentally good. The Bible encourages us to pray for ourselves. The Bible encourages us to pray for those who persecute us, those who mean to do us harm. That's what an enemy is. We've discussed that in the last month. We prayed for ourselves and our nation. We know that's generally a good thing to do. But today I want us to get the understanding from Paul on how we can specifically pray for the persecuted church. Now remember Paul was not only persecuted, he was a persecutor himself. Before Paul had a conversion and began following Jesus Christ, he was the number one enemy of the Christians. He harmed them. He did them harm. He killed them. He, he, he killed them. Uh, Saul was a persecutor. And we know that he was miraculously saved. He was transformed by the power of God. Just like you and I can be. We can be transformed by the power of God. The same way that Saul was. Maybe in other areas of our life. But God still wants to change our lives. And God has the ability to change our lives. Man, everyone should have said amen when I said that. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe it? That God has the ability to change your life? Man, this is a great example of Saul. He's on his way to Damascus. Why? To persecute Christians. <laughs> that's, his, that's his agenda. And uh, he, he has this dramatic conversion and God calls him to be a missionary, specifically, not to the Jews, but specifically to the Gentiles. And because of that, he was not trusted by the Christians any more than we would be apt to trust those who have persecuted and hurt us back into our lives. So he didn't really have the support of the Christians at the time, and he himself became persecuted. He became imprisoned. He was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was mocked. We know him really as this wonderful saint that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament books. Uh, but we have to remember that he also uh, was this man who was apostolic and he helped establish these churches. And then he would not necessarily always be able to go back and visit them. Sometimes he would send people. Sometimes he would just write letters. And as he heard the churches were being persecuted, he wrote letters to say, you need to intercede to God on behalf of these churches. It's interesting that he includes praying for the saints no fewer than 42 times in his New Testament writings. So if someone said, what is the theme of Paul's writings? You can say, well, I don't know if there was one theme, but I do know that he was very concerned about praying for the persecuted church because he mentioned it at least 42 times. So a little background, Acts chapter 19, or I'm sorry, chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Now they had passed through uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, and they came to Thessalonica. Now, just bookmark that, because that is where the believers were that Paul's going to write to in our lesson today. And there was a synagogue there of the Jews. And Paul went in 
as was his custom, on three Sabbath days. And he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas, as did a great number of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the noble or of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and they attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Now, you got the picture here? Paul's preaching, he's teaching, and there's such a riot that they begin to burn buildings. There's a mob here. And they attacked the house of Jacob's, Jason. And verse 6 says, When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These are the men that have turned the world upside down, and they've come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king named Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, then they let him go. Man, there's a riot there. <laughs> After Paul is there and, and preaching, and his time in Thessalonica was cut short by this uprising of the Jewish leaders. Now, his second missionary journey, which was about, oh, 50 years after the death of Jesus, and then the writing of this letter to Thessalonica was shortly afterwards. And then he wrote a second letter while he was staying in Corinth. That was probably a year later. So we've got two letters written to Thessalonica within that Year And it's in that second letter that he really begins to uh, unpack some of this. We know that his preaching, his teaching um, caused opposition, caused riots. And before we jump into Paul's specific prayer for persecuted Christians, um, I want you to, to think a little bit different about persecution. Uh, biblically. Generally, troubles fall to all of us. We all have different types of suffering that we experience. We lose our jobs. Unbelievers lose their jobs too. You know, we get sick. We contract diseases. Non-believers, the, the same thing. That is not biblical persecution. Suffering for the sake of righteousness, according to 1 Peter, is biblical persecution a specific opposition that every biblical disciple no matter where they live can experience as a result of their bold and faithful witness and Jesus said man they hated me they're going to hate you Christian persecution follows an equation it's like a a pattern and I want us to understand what Christian persecution is, okay? First of all, you've got to have faith. Christian faith. 
And that Christian faith has to result in action. Remember, the Bible says you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That word believe means that you're going to do something with the belief. That's why our faith always leads to work. So when I talk about Christian faith, I'm not talking about you holding up in your bedroom closet saying, I believe, I believe, I believe. No, we're talking about you're out there doing something. You're witnessing. You're, you're attending church. You're, you're tithing. You are feeding the poor. You are standing up for the marginalized of society. You are welcoming the aliens, as the Bible says. Bold, faithful witnesses. You've got to have Christian faith. Then secondly, you've got to have a persecutor. To have biblical persecution, you need a Christian faith and you need a persecutor. That's someone who is directly opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just somebody who's inconvenienced by it or who doesn't like it. I'm talking about somebody who is opposed. And then to have Christian persecution, you have to have some kind of an attack. So you can kind of see this. Faith, you got to have faith. Then you've got to have a persecutor, plus you have to have some kind of an attack. That means an opposition against you. That, friends, those three elements is what biblical persecution is all about. Maybe some of you have experienced that. I haven't. Not, not really that type of persecution. But, friends, we have hundreds of thousands Brothers and sisters who are experiencing that today. There will be people killed today because they're standing up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice in the section we just read, Acts 17, there's Christian faith there, isn't there? Paul is teaching. He's, he's uh, explaining he is talking about Christ having to suffer and, and die. And, and then there's a persecutor. Acts 17 says the Jews, the church leaders themselves were opposed. Notice there's an attack. Verse 5 through 8 or 9 talks about there's jealousy, there's lies. There's extortion. It's not interesting. It, it doesn't just happen in our world. There's extortion here. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let him go. That's extortion right there. There was an attack and then there was persecution. So with that understanding, that background, that experience of the persecuted Christians in Thessalonica, with a, with a better definition of what we're talking about this morning, now I want you to turn to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, we're going to unpack this and we're going to learn how to pray for the persecuted church. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. Come on, someone say amen. The Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, 
that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Here's Paul, remember a former persecutor. And before he prays for the persecuted believers in Thessalonica, he asks his brothers and sisters for prayer himself. He wants them to know the value of prayer. We all need prayer. I hope all of you have a a circle of people around you that are praying for you. We all need our own individual prayer team. Paul demonstrates this. Because the advancement of the kingdom of God through us is dependent upon prayer. And one mark of true fellowship of believers is entering into this authentic relationship of praying one for another. Let's look, first of all, at Paul's request, shall we? Paul's request, point number one, is found in verse number one. It says that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. That's how we can pray for the persecuted church, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. Paul wrote either from Athens or, as I said earlier, probably from Corinth right now. And his desire was the word of God to prevail as it had in Thessalonica. Speed ahead. I love that. Speed ahead. It indicates a lack of obstacles. You know, when you're driving on a road and they put speed bumps every 20 yards, it's, it's to slow you down. So when I say we want the word of God to speed ahead, we have to pray against those speed bumps, those obstacles. Paul also says, pray that the word be honored. Be honored. See, we typically hold value to the the weight of which we give something honor. That's true. Honor is the foundational belief in the life of the bearer of God's word. Because if you honor this word, you are more likely to receive this word. Let me say that again. The more you honor God's word, the more likely you are to receive it, embrace it, and apply it. We need to honor his word. The Holy Spirit will help us. He'll he'll deal in our hearts and our lives, and he will illuminate things to us that we might accept as truth, the things of God's word. You can have all... Whatever opinion you want. And I can have whatever opinion I want. But friends, it doesn't really matter. Whatever God's word says about an issue, that settles it. That's what the word, that's God's word is God's word. We need to pray it speeds ahead. We need to pray it's honored. We need to pray that it's unbound. Second Timothy talks about that. Paul reminded Timothy that the word of God has been bound by chains and needs to be loosed unto salvation. So that's the first thing, that we pray that the word of God speed ahead, and then it says that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. That's a good way to pray for our brothers in Nigeria. That's a good way to pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, that they may be delivered from wicked and evil men. That word delivered is is very intentional in Paul's writings. 
God may choose to answer that prayer in a variety of ways. When I say we want them to be delivered, I have a certain idea of what that's going to look like, and you probably do too. But I want you to understand that there are different ways that God can deliver people. That's not up to us. We always have to submit and say, not our will, but your will be done. But the fact is, we need to pray that they might be delivered. Think about people right now, today, that are imprisoned by wicked and evil captors. Let's pray that they'll be released from captivity. Let's pray that somehow miracles will begin to happen, that they'll be set free, they'll be let go. There'll be others that won't be let go. Could we not at least pray that they'll be delivered from being tortured while they're in prison? See, now that would be a deliverance. Believe me, if I was imprisoned, I would want you as my church to be praying that I wouldn't be tortured. Now, I would want to be delivered. I'd want to be set free. But if I wasn't set free, I hope that you'll pray that at least I'm not tortured. Now, that's a deliverance. Isn't that a deliverance as well? And I know it's hard for us in our American mindset to think about death as being a deliverance. But I've said this so often, man, you talk to people who have been in prison, you talk to people particularly uh, from the, uh, more of an Eastern culture mentality, they'll say, man, it would be, I would be honored to be martyred like Jesus was. Some of the apostles said that. They wanted to be martyred to honor Jesus. So maybe that's the way God's going to deliver some of our brothers and sisters. It's to deliver them through their death. I know that's hard for us to imagine. But if you were in prison and you were being tortured, and the only alternative you have was Jesus welcoming you into heaven, saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Hey, that's not a bad option. We don't have to to fear death. Jesus has conquered death. So let's pray that our brothers and sisters are delivered. We know what Paul said about that. He said in the Philippians, he said, man, to live is, to, is Christ. And if I die, to die is gain. Look it up. Philippians 1.21. That should be our mindset. The second thing here I see, Paul's request is that we pray the word is, you know, is, is may speed ahead and honored and that people will be delivered from their evil uh, attackers. And then there's the heart of Paul's prayer, which I think is found in really in verse 5 here. It says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. What a wonderful prayer for anyone, whether they're being persecuted or not. God does direct the hearts of the believers. And that word direct, I looked it up in the lexicon this week. It's from a, a Greek word that we actually get the word Lord and master from. The English word 
master, actually comes from this Greek word direct because it refers to the supremacy of God. We want him to direct our steps because we want him to be the Lord of our lives. And for him to be the Lord of our lives, we've got to submit ourselves. We have to say, as John the Baptist did, man, you've got to increase, but for that to happen, I've got to decrease. And that literally, literally, this is how that verse can be translated. May the Lord master your heart. Now think about that for a moment. It's one thing for the Lord to direct your heart, but literally in the Greek it means, I want the Lord to master my heart. May the Lord lord my heart. May he lord it over me. And may we pray that in all things that the Lord God is the master of our hearts and the master of the persecuted brothers and sisters as they serve as bold and faithful witnesses that they might be part of those saints that we remember on All Saints Day. And as we allow God to master our heart, God always leads us to love. The lording of our heart by the Lord God results in love. And you see it right here in verse number five. Our love for the Lord leads to this alignment in love regarding the perspective that God is good. His nature is good. He's always working for us, never against us. God's plan for us is always good. And as I talked about several weeks ago about the sovereignty of God, man, when we get off course and make wrong decisions, because that's just part of free will, (laughs) we can always ask the Holy Spirit to recalculate like a GPS and get us back on the right path to get to the final destination. And that's what God wants. He is good. His provision is good. Every good and perfect gift, James says, comes down from above. And as you align yourself and as I align myself with that love of God and as of those brothers and sisters, whether it be in prison or whether they're just living in fear because of the the government uh, uh, restrictions or the government following them or whatever it is, wherever they are, it will result in what the Bible calls steadfastness. Man, I need to be steadfast. And the only way I can be steadfast is to fully understand the love of God. And the only way I can understand the love of God is to allow God to master my heart. Not just direct me, but master. See the connection there? That's the kind of prayer specifically we need to pray for our brothers and sisters in the persecuted world today. The steadfastness that brings us into right relationship, ensures our purpose on earth, gives us hope. He is our living hope. Jesus is the source of our steadfastness. Hebrews 12 talks about that. As we fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus (laughs) endured the shame. He went to the cross 
for you and I. And his love and his steadfastness can help us in our difficult times, but also help us to pray for those who are being persecuted today. Third thing, we'll close with this. And then this morning, I hope you've picked up communion elements because I want us to take communion really in honor and memory of the persecuted church. What's prayer's answer? What's Paul's answer here? How did God meet and answer the prayers of Paul? You know, there's no named leader in the writings of the gospel or the epistles other than Timothy, of who was even in charge of the church in Thessalonica. We know Timothy was a mentee that, that uh, Paul assigned there. Uh, there were co-workers there. But it really doesn't tell us. There's no wonderful, miraculous end to Paul's prayers. And that's what I want you to understand today. Sometimes we are disappointed and you might be disappointed today to learn that Paul's prayers did not have some kind of grand, miraculous, instantaneous answer. It works our way sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't. Evidently, Paul's prayers did not launch the church in Thessalonica to the top of a list of great and powerful churches. Yet isn't it interesting that 2,000 years removed, we're still talking about the church in Thessalonica. It did have value. The reality is that many of our prayers will be answered in a mysterious way that we won't understand. But that doesn't mean God's not answering them. That doesn't mean God's not at work. I'd love for us to pray a final prayer today and every persecuted Christian in the world would be released from prison. Probably not going to happen. But does that mean our prayers are in vain? Absolutely not. Because God works in strange ways. God works in mysterious ways. That's why we've got to be aligned to God's word, aligned to his nature, that he's a good God. Man, if the Apostle Paul, St. Paul himself, if he could pray fervently for believers... And perhaps never see the answer this side of heaven. I would still do well to imitate Paul. And to pray. Because we have brothers and sisters today. Who are experiencing the evils of persecution. Because of their bold witness. Their faithful witness. There's over 70 hostile areas of the world. That's been identified by the voice of the martyrs. And we're going to pray for the top five places that they know the persecution exists. You'll see them. I'd encourage you to write them down. North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, and Pakistan. Probably the five most critical areas, but not far behind them. Iran, India, Egypt, and Laos. Before we receive communion today, 
to help us remember the body of Christ is much, much larger than those of us in these six walls, those of us within the assemblies of God, those of us within the evangelical Protestant church, those of us within America. The body of Christ extends to brothers and sisters that do not have the opportunity today to own a Bible or to receive communion. And we want to pray for them. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, I thank you today that we can look beyond ourselves and we can pray for brothers and sisters who are standing bold and firm in their faith of you as the Lord and Savior. And in many cases, Lord, are being persecuted, being attacked, having their houses burned, having children kidnapped, having their pastors beheaded in front of them as they worship on a Sunday. God, sometimes we get so hung up on our own inconveniences, our own problems. And Lord, you're concerned about those too. But Lord, today, on this All Saints Sunday, on this day of international prayer for the persecuted church, we agree together in the name of Jesus, as Paul taught us in Thessalonica, we pray, Lord, that the word of God may speed ahead in North Korea and Afghanistan. Lord, that somehow the word will be delivered and will be honored, O oh God. I pray that every believer will own a copy of the scripture. We thank you for technology. We thank you for you version. We thank you for the digital ways and the, really the, the ministry of the internet that can bring the word into the far corners of the world. God, we just pray that your word will speed ahead. And Lord, I pray today for those who are imprisoned. I pray, Lord, that you will set them free. Set them free from their persecutors. Set them free from torture. Set them free from their pain. Lord, however you choose to do that, we just know that you are our Savior, you're our healer, you're our deliverer, and we pray that you will deliver those who are in prison today. Oh, Jesus, we pray that our brothers and sisters will sense your presence wherever they are, that they will know that there are Americans who are praying today for them not so caught up in our consumer, individual society, in our own situations, but we are praying for them. And I pray they'll experience God's comfort. We pray that open doors for evangelism in Iran and India, oh God, in Egypt and Laos. We pray you'll give wisdom to those who are in kind of the, the covert ministry work I pray for the voice of martyrs and other ministries that deal with a persecuted church. I pray that they will remain joyful in their suffering, that they'll be able to forgive and love their persecutors, just as we were taught a few weeks ago to love, to bless. I pray, oh God, that they will be able to do it through the grace of God. We remember them today. Pray your Holy Spirit will empower them and strengthen them. If you're in person today, if you'll stand with me and take your communion element, if you're at home,
you'll take your bread, the body of Christ, broken for healing, healing of bodies, healing of minds, healings of situations, not just for us, not just for Protestants, not just for Americans, but for all who will believe. Let's take the bread together in memory and honor of the church of Jesus Christ around the world. And now, Lord, we take the cup representing your blood, realizing when you went to the cross, you did pay it all for all who believe. And Lord, today our hearts do go out to those who are in jail, who are imprisoned, who are not free to, to live their faith publicly because of persecution. Lord, we know you love them as much as you love us. And God, we love them. We might not speak their language. Their skin might be a different color. They might eat different types of food there are brothers and our sisters and today we recognize as we receive communion the body of Christ all those who believe your blood was shed on Calvary that we might have forgiveness of sin and eternal life we receive this emblem today in Jesus name let's take our juice